Welcome to your Actives Digital Brief podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, Digital and Media Editor. This week, we take a closer look at the state of cybersecurity in Europe. For an overview on all things digital in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website youractive.com. This is Euractive's Digital Brief podcast. This episode is powered by Google. People around the world are looking for ways to do their part to help the planet. And they want businesses to step up their efforts too. This is why recently we shared several new ways people can use Google products to make sustainable choices, from choosing eco-friendly routes to searching greener flights. Today I'm joined by Raj Samani, Chief Scientist at McAfee. Thank you, Raj, for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me, Luca. So McAfee is a global computer security company. Could you tell us, in your view, what is the status of cybersecurity in Europe? We only need to go on to, you know, say, for example, Twitter, to look at the headlines, to recognize that actually crime is now digital. People don't rob banks with guns. They now use USB sticks, for example. People don't hold up companies with, with you know, munitions. They now send ransomware. So certainly the, the, the construct of crime has changed and Europe is absolutely no stranger to these large-scale attacks that are impacting our society. There have been several initiatives coming from the European Commission addressing the need to scale up the cybersecurity at the EU level. So I could mention the NIST2 proposal, the Cybersecurity Act. What do you think about this set of initiatives? Are they going in the right direction in your view? Well, criminals don't adhere to GDPR. And the challenge that we face, of course, is better policies, better regulations, better transparency, that's good for all of us. But the reality is, and you know, we talk about these things called actionable intelligence, but there is a gap right now between what we want to do to what's actually happening. And the net result of all of that is organizations are being compromised. I mean, it seems ridiculous, but this year, I think it was this year alone, might have been last year, but you know, people are being turned away from hospitals. You know, people are having to face issues around fuel crises because companies are being compromised. Meatpacking companies are being disrupted in their ability to be able to carry out operations. And so I can't realistically sit here and say everything's great when this is our daily, uh, our daily diet of breaches. And so I think the EU and specifically um, specifically Europol and the European Cybercrime Centre are doing a considerable amount with regards to trying to make the landscape or trying to make our defences stronger and better and giving us more transparency. But the, the reality is, is that in the, and I don't want to say the real world, but in, in actuality, from the threatscape perspective, these are the types of issues that we are having to contend with. So you mentioned some major disruption just now. Do you think that these were some sort of wake-up calls for regulators in the EU and, and also abroad? Or do you think that cybercrime is actually progressing faster than, than regulators can keep up with? Well, the good news is law enforcement are working together. The good news is 
they're working with private industry. So people are being arrested. Just last week, for example, we saw the Reevil Group, you know, some of their affiliates become actually were actually arrested and we're very proud of the work that we did there. But the challenge is, is that it's almost like you're trying to swim upstream. Now I'm kind of reminded of those pictures of salmon, you know, swimming for migration, you know, in Canada, for example. We're going, the, 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 the cyber criminal space is becoming simpler and simpler for people to become part of this economy. The challenge we face, and I think you know, collectively, is how can we how can we start to hold people accountable for this quicker and faster? I mean, we talk about regulations, for example, but like one unintended consequence of GDPR is that we made investigating digital crimes more difficult, for example, with who is going dark. And so we've got to start to consider security at the heart of what we do. And it's not even security. For me, this is a construct of digital trust. We have to be able to trust the systems we depend upon. We have to be able to trust the websites that we use. And of course, the challenge that we face is, is that in our rush to try and make things as, you know, for example, we, we went we went for, towards privacy, well, we forgot about security as a result of it or digital trust. And so I, I, we have work to do. Like, we, yeah, and, and by the way, that's not to basically call out and say, what we're doing isn't isn't any good, but far from that, actually quite the opposite. But we need to do more, we need to do it faster, and we need to do it more effectively so that we can start to put people behind bars who think it's okay to hold a hospital hostage. So, of course, everyone would agree that we need to do more. What do you mean with that exactly? What are you proposing? Let me give you an example. Uh, There was a recent case of DDoS for extortion. The, you know, this DDoS for extortion attacks were, they were targeting organizations one after another and after another. Now, in the digital world, what tends to happen is criminals go after one company, then go after another company. I mean, in fairness, they do it in parallel. But we're not taking the learnings from the first victim to the second victim, to the third victim, to the fourth victim. It's kind of this construct of actionable intelligence. So we need to take we need to take these learnings and say, well, look, you know, getting better transparency for everybody. So, for example, if a company is impacted by a cyber attack, right now there is this sense of shame about the fact that actually they were compromised and they're unwilling to be open about what's happened. What we need to do is we need to try and remove this stigma, and so companies that have been impacted can stand up and say, well, actually, yes, we were. This is what we were hit by. This is how the bad guys worked. And by the way, maybe we can, maybe other organizations can protect themselves as a result. So this construct of actionable intelligence for me is critical so that, but, you know, we, we make it slightly difficult or slightly more difficult for criminals to carry out the same attack continuously. And that's just one example of the things that we need, I think. I understand that in your view, collaboration among the practitioners of cybersecurity for the cybersecurity community is key to address common uh, challenges. In the NIST 2 proposal uh, that was recently approved in the European Parliament, there is a recognition that GDPR has been limiting the work of the cybersecurity community and is trying to clarify how members of the community can collaborate. Do you think this is the right approach? It's the right approach, but it's slow. 
I mean, how long is that going to take? And yet, in the meantime, your data, Luca, is being sold by criminals for pennies. We, we, we've got to move quicker. We've got to move harder. We've got to move faster. I, 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 I agree that collaboration is key, but quite frankly, it's a marketing buzzword used by marketing departments to try and sell more products. I mean, realistically, since No More Ransom, how many other initiatives have we seen that have stood up and, and taken action against the threats that we face every single day? There was the coalition against stalkerware, for example, but you know, there's we can't keep calling back to a 2016 initiative such as No More Ransom and say, well, look, there's an example. Well, where are the other 20 examples that have existed? And these whole construct of public-private partnerships are imperative, but but actually they need we need to have like tangible outcomes as a result of it. So Look, I, I am a huge supporter of the EU. I'm still consider myself European, by the way, despite the accent. And so, everything that we're doing is making sure everything that we do is to enable and support not only policymakers but also law enforcement in in their work to try to hold those accountable that will try to do harm against us. Indeed, EU legislation takes its course to be approved and implemented. But how do you think that this collaboration between law enforcement, regulators and private entities can be more flexible and agile to to address uh, upcoming risks? I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. Like if you look at JCAT, which is the Joint Cybercrime Action Task Force based out of EC3, there you have many law enforcement agencies working together and you know that serves as a really good vehicle to be able to deconflict major cases and so for example in the past i think we were one of the first companies to do a, a takedown with jcat is we rather than going to 20 law enforcement agencies and saying hey does anybody who's investigating this we go to jcat and we can share with them actionable intelligence that will enable them to be able to develop and work and build an investigative team and a case that can then ultimately lead to either arrests or disruption, or at the very least, some sort of action against criminals. Let's talk about the investments in cybersecurity now, because there were figures going around that European firms tend to invest up to 30% less than American firms in cybersecurity. What do you think that drives investment in this area? I don't know, is the honest answer. I don't know why a company wouldn't invest the appropriate funds to manage and mitigate risk in the digital space. I mean, digital is now the, the, the modus operandi for pretty much every firm, and it certainly has been since, since the pandemic for almost every firm that I can think of. The impact of a significant attack can be catastrophic. The we've seen examples of that, whether it's in manufacturing, whether it's you know intellectual property theft. I mean, we're talking about a, the lifeblood of a business, and so an organisation that doesn't appropriately invest in cybersecurity controls, I believe, as a customer, I think is 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 negligent. I mean, it is quite frankly negligent, and. You know, what, what I expect we'll begin to see, because right now everything is 
either really binary. So organization gets compromised, that customer experiences loss, losses. And those losses are over a long period of time. There's been studies around you know, the economic impact of a cyber breach, for example. Where I think we'll begin, and I think this is where we need to start to focus from a regulatory perspective, is this construct of due diligence. So post-intrusion, post we, we evaluate whether a business has actually taken the appropriate and reasonable measures in order to be able to protect their environment. And I believe organizations that do not, they're the ones that will, that will experience or should experience the, the, the detrimental market conditions as a result. In, in other words, you know, and this is enshrined into data protection regulations, for example, you know, the UK DPA, for example, principle seven talks about organizational, um, appropriate organizational and technical measures. And we see the information commissioner's office begin to introduce fines for company that they feel do not meet that requirement. And so I think we're moving into a world in which due diligence or, or, demonst or demonstrable security controls and appropriate risk management will begin to become, I think, more part of how we evaluate whether an organization has done the right thing or not. You're obviously been in this game for quite some time now. What long-term trends do you see in the cybersecurity industry? Well, it's it's a game we didn't want to be a part of, quite frankly. Some of the long-term trends, quite frankly, is we're seeing better innovation from criminals. And that's understandable because they, of course, are making huge sums of money. So it stands to reason that they're reinvesting. We're seeing nation states beginning to improve their offensive capability. For example, Operation Harvest, we know was a multi-year espionage campaign run by a nation state. I think more as a macro perspective, I would say that we're seeing the transition from, and I think this was a 2013 assessment from the FBI, whereby I think they asserted that bank robberies, physical bank robberies are on the decrease. Well, guess why? Because it's easier, safer, and more secure to do it from your house. So the, the, this is, I think, more of the macro trends that we're witnessing. And of course, the, you know, criminals and, and, and threat actors are using new channels in order to be able to access people. So where it used to be all phishing emails, we're now seeing threats via RDP, for example. We're seeing vulnerable systems, for example. Moreover, we're seeing the use of social media, for example, targeting people over LinkedIn, whereby you believe it to be, for example, a recruiter, but it's not. And so we're seeing better skills, better campaigns, and more innovation coming from threat actors. Raj Samani is Chief Scientist at McAfee. Thank you, Raj, for being with us today. Thank you, Luca. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Digital Brief newsletter to receive a comprehensive overview on digital affairs in the world of European politics and policy directly in your mailbox. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.